This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Honey Badger. Your code is going to have errors, even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself. When bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron monitoring into a single, easy-to-use platform, saving you time and your cash. Remote Ruby listeners get 30% off for six months. Simply mention Remote Ruby when signing up and they'll apply the discount to your account. No credit card required. This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote ideas to the meaning of the word? Welcome back, Andrew. What up? What up? What up? We're without Jason this week. Uh, it sounds like he had some heavy PRs and stuff he had to sort of try and wrap up before the end of the, the week. You know, get that stuff deployed on a Friday. Yeah. I mean, it's really the only way. I can't say that I agree with the trend that has come about like not too long ago of like, don't deploy on Fridays. I personally believe in only deploying on Fridays. Mm -hmm. It's the only way to truly feel alive in these times. And it's just kind of, it's like a free drug, you know, and you got to take what you can get. We should build uh, some rules or something that are like, you have to, you can only deploy like at 5 p.m. on a Friday. And that's like your only window to deploy. Well, if that's going to be the rule, then the rule is also going to have to be, you have to hit enter on your computer and then close the laptop <laughs> yeah, and just put it, put it into the Lord's hands. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll turn off your email notifications at five as well. And like, yeah. it's just a good luck. You know, it's interesting. Like I, sometimes I think about the old days of, of building video games. Like, you know, if you were making GoldenEye on the N64, like you had one shot. You like release that to the world, you print cartridges and like, that's it. There's no patches. And then like, you know, Grand Theft Auto comes out, eh, there's no multiplayer or whatever, like for a few weeks. And, you know, they can just like do things so lazily these days, but I guess it also allows them to do stuff at a way bigger scale, you know, which is nice, but it is interesting to like see the, the difference in like all that. Cause it is kind of how it used to be in a sense, like if you're making video games or like, you know, putting your, your software on a shelf at, at Office Depot. <laughs> yeah, it, it is interesting. I mean, you got to like think about all of the bugs and like, you know, cheats and hacks and stuff people found in those old games that like just never will be fixed. And maybe that's fine, but it is nice now that we can kind of incrementally ship software and apply that to video games as well. And I think the net result is positive unless you're GTA because the problem with GTA and uh, Rock or not Rockstar. Well, I guess it is Rockstar. The problem with GTA and Red Dead Redemption is not that the games suck. The game is really good. It's the fact that their servers suck. Their servers suck so hard. It's, I, I don't know, it's probably running on a Raspberry Pi somewhere in someone's basement. But yeah, that's... <laughs> I like to play Rockstar games and every time I play a Rockstar game, I'm reminded by just how terrible their server is and it sparks like an anger in me anytime I see like a meme on Reddit about it or like experience it myself or hear about it. It's just like, God, it's just so bad. It could be so good. Like you spend so much time and effort and money making this amazing game and then you like, I guess like pay your like DevOps people and like peanuts or something because this is ridiculous. Yeah, it's fascinating because like, you know, here we are building 
Rails apps and we're like, hey, we get WebSockets now and we can do all this stuff. But like when you're talking about GTA with, you know, hundreds of players and without, I mean, like overall it's thousands and thousands of players, but like, you know, lots of players playing at the same time, streaming all of this data, you know, it's got to be a pretty, a pretty rough thing to, you know, build and maintain, I'm sure. But, you know, people have done it. Like Blizzard has done World of Warcraft, like for like at a time when you didn't even really think that stuff was possible back in the day when they released it. It's, it's crazy to see that, but then it makes me feel like, you know, we're just like kids playing in the, in the sandbox. Like, yeah, we get web sockets now, you know, it feels like the work we're doing is very simple in comparison, but it's, it's just different work. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it, it is different work. I mean, they have a lot more capabilities over there because they have access to like, you know, like the raw machine and they're doing this and that. And yeah, it is different problems and different work. And I don't, I'm sure that it is more complex in some ways, but in some ways I'm sure it's not. I mean, I'm pretty sure the, when I was, uh, I I got big into Battlefield until EA just frigging uh, frigged that up. You see, you see what I did there? The no, no F words. They frigged that up. They frigged it up so hard with like a patch that like destroyed all of like the guns. Like they just nerfed every gun and it was, I never played again. It was sad because I was like, I want, I almost thought about doing like competitions in Battlefield because I was pretty good, but they're like menu screening. I'm pretty sure on the game, someone told me that it was written in react and I was like, huh, that's kind of, that's interesting. And also their game menu sucked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know that they used, I think it was Python, and they used like Lua and stuff to do like scripting in those games to, you know, run the different, yeah, those scenes that are like automated and whatever. Like it's, it's really cool, you know, and some of that, like the game engine itself has to be as performant as possible. But like if you're giving that, you know, probably hand tweaked assembly code for performance in some areas. You got to be able to give that to the writers and the animators and stuff. And like, they can't do that, you know, tweak the the C code or anything. so it is neat to see that they like use scripting languages to go write those, you know, pieces of the the games. It's a cool thing. I think it's probably one of the most painful industries to be in, I would imagine, because they don't get paid very well. And then they have like, you know, hundred hour weeks as a normal thing for several years. And then they all get fired as soon as the game releases. And <laughs> It's <Yeah>. not cool. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, I, I remember, I think it was, I think it was a uh, red dead two or one when like all of the like spouses of all of like the engineers and stuff like wrote into Rockstar and they're like, please, dear God, like I haven't seen my spouse in so long and you won't let him leave or have them leave. And I'm like, this is really sad, but like, I want my game. <laughs> it's a, yeah, it, I pre-ordered it, that. Like, what, yeah, you're finished. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I, I do want that. But I do not want like the engineers to be abused. But like also, when is it coming? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a crazy industry, and it makes me like really appreciate where we're at because 
things seem very easy in comparison. That is, uh, you know, there's not crunch time in web development near the same as there is in, in games. And that's like, a, you know, they're waiting till that Friday to deploy it. And then they're like, good luck. Because they got to, you know, burn it on Blu-rays and ship it out and do that for probably, what, months? You know, manufacturing the, yeah. the discs ahead of time. And it's crazy, man. And it's quite a different thing. Yeah, it is uh, in comparison, like when you like step back and think about it. Yeah, it's it is. They have some heart. I don't want to say harder. They have different problems that are more complex than maybe some that we deal with. But in the moment, you know, when you can't get your freaking RSpec test to work, like that's the hardest <laughs> thing to ever like face human existence. Like, like I could solve world hunger, but this freaking RSpec test, I'm telling you. <laughs> so oh, perspective, yeah. perspective is important. Yeah, that is that is uh, certainly true. So, what have you been up to this week? Anything exciting like R spec tests? Anything exciting like R spec tests? <laughs> a brand new sentence. I mean, I mentioned this last week. I have a new job. It is a like there are a few things going on in the company, but specifically, I am working on a legacy Rails four app, and that's been a brand new brand new experience. I I've never written in Rails 4 before because I came into Rails right as Rails 5 got released. So like all the tutorials and stuff I did to learn Rails were all Rails 5. I have literally never spun up a Rails 4 app before. And it's been an interesting experience. I don't dislike it. Like I feel like a few years ago or like a year ago, I've been like, oh, this sucks. Like I gotta work on this legacy software and you know. It's big and complicated because that's literally what legacy applications are. I'm like, oh, this blows. Poor me, yeah, yeah. But I think I'm not. And I think that is specifically because I spent that time at CodeFund just like riding the like edge and like getting that experience. And now like this is like, I just see it as like a new challenge, like a new problem. And it's something I've not done before. And anytime I change jobs, my goal is to always, you know, be doing, you know, still rails, but I don't want to be doing the same thing. You know, I want to be doing experiences that grow and expand my horizons. And this is definitely one of them. It's a, it's a big challenge, I think. And it's something that I'm like weirdly excited about in like a weird masochistist way or something. I don't know. Like it's, I'm kind of enjoying it. Like when I was looking for the jobs because Rails 4 doesn't have active job. So I was like, okay, where are the jobs? (laughs) And you know, (laughs) why are these folders here? Like where are active storage? Yeah. Like (laughs) where's Webpack? (laughs) Yeah. The answer to where's Webpack is a custom config. You know, it's just, it's a fun new experience. And I think really the most painful part is that I this app doesn't have bin stubs because it's I'm it's pretty sure it's like a ten year old app, and I run everything on bin stubs. So the, all the rails I do bin rails. I don't do bundle exact rails. I've always done bin rails. I don't know why. There's no bin stubs, and some of the commands are different from Rails four and five. Like you can't run Rails. There was one specific one. I can't remember which one it was. I kept, I keep trying to run Rails something and it's not a command. You have to run rake to do it. And I'm yeah. like, that has probably tripped me up the most because now I, before I got, I got a work machine, so I just got it. But before I was running it locally and none of my aliases worked because <laughs> they were all using like 
when they were either using bin stubs or they were using, they all use rails. They never used, I never used rake because I, when I was coming in, like running rails commands through rake was like at that point being phased yeah, it just out got all, added or something. Yeah. It well, it just gotten added, but it was also being like blogged and talked about is like, you don't do this anymore. Yeah. Like now we right. do this. So I like learned when I was learning Rails, I was like, okay, you do not run things through Rake. You run them through Rails. And I remember my first job being like, some of the engineers were still like, you know, in that mindset and still running everything through Rake. And I'm like, why, why'd you do that through Rake? You can do it through Rails. And like, you know, there were weird things we found because of that. But I don't know, brand new experience. I'm having fun, even though it's like a weird fun where at the end of the day, I'm like just so dead. I want to like crawl into like a cabinet and just like sleep there. But it's a it's a new experience, and I'm enjoying it. Yeah, man, I I remember that when I so my first Rails job out of college was working for this tiny consultancy, and we had Rails three had just come out or something when when I was like in college or something. I forget exactly, but they had a bunch of apps that they had worked on before. So they were all on Rails 2.3 and stuff. And I remember, you know, around that time, Rails 3.2 maybe was the one that switched from prototype to jQuery. And we had a lot of stuff that was on the old prototype JS library. And, you know, there was tons of those things that were like, there was, yeah, the bundler was added around Rails 3, I think. So like before that you were doing in your config application.rb, putting your gems in there, you know, and like, it's interesting to see all that stuff. And like, it's probably a really interesting thing too. Like if you, so the command that you were mentioning that like you have to use rake for, that would be really fun to just go pull up the rails commit that added the first version of that, you know, like look up the PR for it and be like, Oh, okay. Now I understand like, what they changed to make that possible now. And that would be fun to like, just go through and see like, Oh, this is weird. I have this feature. I wonder how they added that. That would be kind of neat to see that. Yeah. That, yeah, that's a good point. I should probably, I should start doing that because like as much like not fun it is to like, like work in legacy apps. It is an incredible like learning experience. I mean, the other day, like for no reason, because I haven't even been doing anything related to threads at work. I was like looking at some code and I was like, huh, I wonder if I should like do this in a separate thread. And then I just kind of stopped and I was like, why did I just have that thought? Like I I never would have had that thought like, you know, five or six months ago. And I don't know, being like thrust into like a big complicated code base is you're going to learn some things. And I'm excited for what kind of comes out of this. I'm sure it'll only make me a better developer. And I don't know. I think the first and most important like roadblock when working in a legacy app is like getting bogged down and why did they do it like this? This is stupid. You know, these freaking morons, like yada, yada, yada. And I learned, I, I don't remember when I learned it. It was very early on in my career. Like my, I think, I guess it was my mentor just taught me that you have no idea the the circumstances or like requirements surrounding the way th- certain things were done like you don't have the context anymore you don't know what was like popular when this was written like this could be this could be like bleeding rails 3 co- code right here like this could have been like the best there was and 
I think a lot of people will get bogged down and just be like, oh, this is terrible. This sucks. Like these programmers are idiots. And I have always tried and continue to maintain like, hey, they probably did the best they could with what they have. And it's not like, like looking down on them or thinking or cursing their name is not going to help me do what I need to do. It's just like, that's how they did it. And that's how it is. And I think it's important not to, not to do that, not to hate on code people wrote before you because you, you don't know. And also, I, I, I can't, I don't know of a single developer who can't look at a piece of code they wrote six months ago, like, wow, what an idiot. I could, I could do this better now. I mean, so that is my, my call to people. This, the, the point I'm trying to get across is like, be more empathetic when you read code because, you know, just crapping all over someone else's code is not cool. And I'm sure you're going to crap over your own code. So just, you know, we do what we can with what we have and don't, don't be a dick. That's, that's the point. Yeah. And man, sometimes it's fun to like, see that stuff where like, you know, active job just came out or something and you have a project that kind of tried to use it, but they didn't quite understand how to use it. And then looking back at that, you're like, huh, that's fascinating. Or like, you know, early versions of active storage or action text or whatever that, or even turbo links, like the first version of turbo links versus the, you know, the, the refactors of it. There's just a lot of things, like a lot of knowledge that wasn't there yet because they are like trying something new. And then you can see now very clearly why that didn't work. But these were the projects that actually in, influenced and informed them like, oh, we need to change this and do it this way because it'll be better, which we're going to see right now. Like, well, right now is in whenever the heck hey, finally it releases their, you know, tweaks to stimulus and turbolinks and all that. But we're going to see a bunch of those changes. There's already some of that being talked about. We're seeing that with stimulus reflex and cable ready. And Tailwind even is a really good example of that where we were like, hey, why are we writing all our CSS frameworks from scratch? Why don't we like build one with buttons and everything? And, you know, that's bootstrap. And then we kind of like, went too far and now the pendulum's back towards the middle and it's like here's this tailwind thing like what if we give you the flexibility and the ability to make your own buttons but like you don't have to and maybe that's a good thing and it's interesting to see like that swing back and forth over the years stuff like that seems totally stupid probably back in the day where you're you know like before bootstrap you're like why the heck would I write a class for the exact same line of CSS I would write anyways? Like I'm not saving any time or whatever. Like it seems ridiculous, but then having gone to bootstrap and you're like, it's kind of hard to change these buttons because I can't remove things from the default button class very easily. I have to just override every little detail. So I write like twice as much CSS for a button than I would have, you know, normally. And then Tailwind's like, well, maybe there's a middle ground. It's super cool, you know, to see that. And all that like knowledge as an industry comes and goes. And we've already seen a whole set of JavaScript frameworks like Backbone that have come and gone, you know, and nobody talks about them anymore. Ember's kind of falling off a bit, it seems, but maybe not. I'm not really in that, you know, area as much, but I do hear about Vue and React all the time. but. 
you know, it's, it's cool. Like to go on those, go back on those old projects. You got me thinking something I've talked about for a long time that I've never done was I want to do a couple screencasts and maybe I'll do it this weekend of downloading the earliest version of rails that I can find and trying to build something with it and then do like rails two, three or rails three and do a few of those and just like, you know, poke around and see what it generates or like, let's dive into the GitHub and go back to the very first commit that we can find and see that. Cause I never used rails much in two, three. It was really like three and onwards. And somewhere in there is when Rails and Merb merged and there was a lot of changes. So I don't think I really used Rails pre-Merb merge. So I don't really know what it looked like back then, but it would be pretty interesting to see that. It would. Again, I got to... Okay. Chris, you have said that many times on this podcast. Like, I'm pretty sure you said it first before I was even on the podcast. So... (laughs) Will it happen this weekend? Question mark. Stay tuned to find out. We'll see. But, I, I'm going to though. It like that just seems like a really fun thing to do. And I'm I'm does. like this week's been a, a painful thing of like we're we're wrangling our house design and everything. Like we got an offer on our old house. So hopefully that's not going to take up time and energy anymore. But the new house is like ramping up and we're getting close to the design being ready. But there's like so much crap that we got to communicate between the architect and the builder and they're like producing or need different things. And it feels like, you know, you're, you're trying to wrangle things between your design team or, you know, your project manager and an outsourced development team that doesn't really understand what you're asking for. And, you know, it lately that's been a, you know, it feels like I'm hiring a, a development team almost, and I'm trying to figure out how to project manage them and get all the communication working together. So, if anything, I need a, I need something like this to go do and just like, and I've done a couple live streams lately, so that would probably be a good one to just live stream. Those are fun, and I should do more of them. So I've been trying to just you know, cut out an hour a week somewhere and, and hop on and work on notice or something and just talk through it. So yeah, I'm going to commit to doing that. Yeah. I, I'm only, I'm only bringing this up because like, I, I want to see it selfishly. Like I am very excited to see it. Although I'm also particularly interested in finding out whether some of the assumptions I have about issues you're going to run into are going to be true or not. What are you thinking about? Well, I imagine, I imagine a very terrible, very terrible reality where you trying to install the versions of like the native extensions you're going to need is just not going to be doable without completely screwing over what you have now. Yeah. Well, so, you know, some of that, is not going to be easy, but like RBM is going to make it a lot easier to just go and grab, say, you know, Ruby 187 and use that. Cause I remember like I didn't really use 187. I think I was using 192. Maybe, maybe I did a bit for some of those legacy projects that we had at that first job. But I remember like 
the huge, you know, announcement of like, there's this new hash syntax that doesn't have these fat arrows and it's way more concise. And then everybody is still writing the old style because they want their, you know, you want devise to work with Ruby 192 and, or 187, 192 and, and into the future, you know, so you can't just use the new syntax. You could in your own app, but if you build a library, you can't. And it's, you know, it's been interesting to see people slowly drop support and you don't see that syntax as much anymore because it's just, you know, not really necessary and it takes up more space. And, you know, so those, those things that I really, so one of the things that I struggled with the most at my very first rail job, I worked for a professor and they had a grant to build some rails apps to, to do like, they had pictures of galaxies from the Hubble telescope. They were trying to categorize. It's like a crowdsource thing. So we had this rails app and then, you know, the gems are listed in that application RB with no versions. And, you know, then I'm, trying to install this thing and I've got Linux Ubuntu on the desktop trying to install, you know, these, these C extensions and they just like the, I'll get them to install, but then the code doesn't work and I have no idea why. And then eventually I asked somebody who I didn't really know cause he wasn't even on our team locally. He was some remote guy. And I mentioned it to him and he was like, Oh yeah, just install the, the previous version of this job, not the latest one. And I was like, what do you mean? (laughs) Sure enough, like uninstalled the latest, installed the older one and it works just fine. And I was like, oh boy, this is, I don't know if I'm cut out for this. Like, I don't want to have to memorize all these like stupid little things. And luckily like that's gotten way better with Bundler and stuff, but that was an absolute nightmare. But it'll be interesting too, to go back and like, let's install Ruby or Rails 2, and then we're going to have to install the equivalent version of Devise. And we'll have to go to Ruby Gems and then look through all the Devise releases or whatever that are around that same time period. And we'll try and use the latest version of it or whatever that we can. But, you know, I'm sure it's going to be really interesting. And those that web of dependencies is pretty gnarly when you get back to the, the old stuff. So yeah, it would be really cool to be able to build some sort of graph of that that changes over time. Or you could visualize like device had all these dependencies and they were changing and whatever. There's a lot of cool stuff I'm sure you could do with that. Let's face it, your code is going to have errors, even code written by an amazing developer such as yourself. When bad things happen, it's nice to know that Honey Badger has your back. Honey Badger makes you a DevOps hero by combining error monitoring, uptime monitoring, and cron monitoring into a single easy to use platform, saving you time and your cash. Honey Badger monitors and sends error alerts in real time with all the context needed to see what's causing the error and where it's hiding in your code so you can quickly fix it and get on with your day. The included uptime and cron monitoring also lets you know when your external services are having issues or your background jobs go AWOL or silently fail. Go to honeybadger.io and discover how Star, Josh, and Ben created a 100% bootstrapped monitoring solution. Why is this important? Self-funding means they only answer to you, the developer, rather than a venture capital overlord. 
Remote Ruby listeners get 30% off for six months. Simply mention Remote Ruby when signing up and they'll apply the discount to your account. No credit card required. Yeah, the other day I was trying to install a version of Event Machine and it's been a while. Like I remember first starting out, like trying to install some gems with certain native dependencies was painful. And I even like saved like the command to actually install my SQL 5.7 because of like you have to pass like all the the with opt and like the the SSL yeah. directories and yada yada. Oh. And I ran into an issue installing Event Machine. And I was like, it's cool. I've got I know how to do this. I gotta find, you know, you gotta pass certain flags into it. And you get those flags, like the origin of those flags is always very, very confusing to me. But the answer is typically, if you're using homebrew specifically, you type brew info and it tells you the flags that you need to pass in like that I always ignore when installing things. So I was like, it's cool. I've got all of my tools I need. I, I crafted the perfect like event machine gem install and it wouldn't work. And then I, I come through all the issues on GitHub because that's typically where you'll go next if you don't get a Stack Overflow. Aaron Patterson posted the solution. It didn't work. I was like shaking my fist at God. I was like, if Aaron Patterson's command doesn't work, what hope do I have? And I just kept installing, kept installing, kept installing. Nothing worked. And finally, I happened across like a comment somewhere. And the answer was that I installed Crystal through Homebrew before I got CryEnv or whatever their version manager is. But I still had Crystal installed because you can also like install Ruby and Node through Homebrew, etc. And that's basically how I installed Crystal. It has a dependency called LLVM. And if LLVM is installed, you can't install this version of Invent Machine. And that's the answer. And I uninstalled it and then everything worked. And I was like, I haven't seen that one yet. But that's interesting. It is. And I, I'm going to stand on a quick soapbox here. People, please, for the love of all that is mighty and holy and your future selves and the future, the future generations that come after you, strongly version your gems in your gem file. Please, dear God, this is <laughs> yeah. not optional. This is a must. Yeah. You oh, have to do this. Definitely. That's why on the notice gem, I actually had the like, you know, in, on the install section, it's like run bundle add noticed because that's going to hit the API, grab the latest version and insert that with the version. Because I hate that all of the instructions for the gems by default are like, just add gem whatever to your gem file. And it's like, no, please don't do that. Because yeah, anytime that. there's a breaking change, everything is screwed. Like that is not a good default. So but yeah. uh, you know that that is like something that maybe I don't remember that I don't know if that command has been around forever. So you know maybe their template should change or we should add a PR. Or there's maybe a reason they don't do it, but it feels like it should be the default. You know, yeah, that, well, it is on is Ruby Gems. Is it like if you yeah if you click to copy well, the yeah, yeah. command on Ruby Gems, it has the version. Are you talking about yeah. like on the README? I'm talking about, yeah, on the readme, like okay. when you run bundle gem to create a right. new gem. I feel like that should be in the readme's instructions by default instead. But yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, I always strongly version, but you specifically have a few gems in Jumpstart that say, I mean, I right. like that you specifically wrote why they're not strongly versioned, yeah. but I think that might be 
an example of like, then you wouldn't want to, you don't always have to strongly immersion, but I would say you should always do it by default until you have an incredibly good reason not to, that you could argue before everyone. Yeah. And like, even those ones that I didn't like buy bug, I'm pretty sure is one or like web console, those you could totally version and it wouldn't be a problem. But like, I just looked at those and was like, honestly, like I don't envision these breaking. So like, and we don't, we're not going to, they're development things for debugging. Like we're not going to write code that depends on that stuff. It's, you know, so in theory, the latest version should always be the most helpful and shouldn't break anything. And so for very few, I don't mind skipping the version on those, but literally everything else, because you can just run bundle outdated and it's like, here's your list of gems that are outdated. And then you go and update them one by one, run your tests. And then, you know, if you're good or not. So yeah, it is uh, definitely the thing that I, I would predict is the most painful if I go back and do this, uh, when I go back and do this. When, um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then the other weird thing is going to be like, you know, when you are searching Stack Overflow or GitHub for issues, you're looking at the current state of the world and searching yeah. that. And if you're trying to go back in time and install like this old thing, you can't differentiate like the results sometimes where you're like, well, I need Postgres version 0.1, you know, to fix that. And you're going to get all these results when you Google it for the latest version of it. And they're not going to be relevant. And you're going to have to like try and figure out how you can search for stuff that's like 10 years old. <laughs> so I have, I have a solution maybe because I was having this issue because like now I'm not trying to search Rails 6. I'm trying to search Rails 4. And searching Rails 4 is, you know, harder, um, especially yep. if you're searching Google. And I actually... I reinstalled Dash. It's an API documentation browser and code snippet manager for macOS. And I don't know if it's for anything other than macOS, but basically what it lets you do is you can specifically choose the version of the documentation you want to, because you, you basically install them from the web. So I specifically um, told it I wanted Rails 4.2 documentation so I can search specifically for the Rails or like search documentation only in that version. And it's super nice and it's super helpful. And I recommend anyone do that. If you are trying to like find documentation for a version that is not the latest and hasn't been for a while, then Dash may be a great option for you. And Hmm. I think it's a pretty popular tool. You can install docs for literally everything, including gems and stuff. So it's pretty, pretty nifty if you haven't checked it out before. That's cool. I know I heard about it in the past. Maybe there was some controversy over it that it was like removed from the App Store or something, or I'm thinking of a different tool. I think it's in the App Store, but it, I don't know, maybe. Who there, knows? There was something like that that had some something happened to it and people were freaking out about it. Could have just been a Hacker News thing. <laughs> ah, but the you orange know, site. Yeah, that orange site. I don't spend much time on there anymore. Like when I was in school, that's where I like learned about startups and everything. And I was like, oh my God, you can do this as a career, like build companies. Like I didn't even realize that was a thing, honestly. 
Right. My parents did a little bit of selling crafts and things on the side and I always liked it, you know, building stuff and selling it and thought that was really cool. They were entrepreneurs, but I didn't know it. And yeah, learning about startups was like, this is what I need to do. (laughs) Yeah. I, I never, ever got into the orange site, honestly. I, I didn't like value there. Anymore. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially now, but like, I don't know. It's just, I didn't like the way it was structured. It was like not stimulating to my very like ADHD brain. It was like, this is boring. There's no freaking pictures. How am I supposed to pay attention? There's nothing shiny. And then the other thing was like, I, I guess for startup stuff, I, I got really into product hunt um, yeah. for better or worse. Yeah. And I've been, I've been on that kick recently, but yeah, the the orange site has pretty pretty nasty comments, and I'm I'm a <laughs> comment reader, but but the if internet I, has I feel like yeah. the comments have been trashed forever because the internet <laughs> it, has always just been trash. It's like the comments are really good until things get popular, and then they just go downhill so fast. And yeah, like until back in comments, I feel like ten years ago, which is insane to say, like. I was in, I was what, a junior in college in 2010 and like Hacker News was awesome back then. And it was like the only place where like people doing really hard technical things were chatting, you know? And so that was like, okay, this is really interesting. And then you could go learn about business stuff and whatever. And then it was probably also like more interesting to me at the time because it was brand new to me and I had no idea about, you know? what SaaS was or anything. So it, at the time was perfect for me, but, and I even applied, like I tried to get a job at GitHub and Airbnb back uh, when I was a senior and I almost got the job at Airbnb and my buddy got a job at GitHub and I think he still works there. And, you know, like it was cool, but I'm really actually glad I didn't move out to San Francisco and stuff and like did my own thing. I, oh yeah, it would have been, been a nice. bay bro. Yeah, but like you know, it would have been fun for a while. But then you also get stuck with all the like ridiculous rent and everything, and you know, you're like, unless you leave that, you're gonna be trapped there more or less because right. you got to work for this. You know, you got to work to pay to live there, and then it's just so expensive. Everything you earn is kind of spent, <laughs> and yeah. yeah. It's kind of sad. Living in a shoebox. I I don't get the I don't get the SF like fascination, the Silicon Valley fascination, because number one, like no offense, I hate people. I don't want to be around any of you. <laughs> and moving to like a large conglomerate of like no, nah, it just sounds terrible. Like yeah. I don't like tech people in person. I like them in small doses over the internet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I just wanted to like find other people with interest in programming and business and stuff. And that was not a thing here in the Midwest, you know, it's just not what people generally did. It's starting to grow quite a bit, but you know, and and then it's funny too. Like I live where, where square and Twitter started. So, or like the foundation from here. So, you know, there are people doing cool stuff, but they also tend to leave and they don't stick around and stuff. But, I was going to ask you earlier, are you, so you're on this Rails 4 app. Are you going to be upgrading it to Rails 5 and 6 and so on? So a Rails 5 PR was opened a while ago. 
And I asked for the context behind that change and why it was never added. And it sounds like the engineering or the entire organization went through like some upheaval when that was going on. The team was mostly contractors, I believe, until not too long ago because they're basically building their internal dev team now. And so I think a lot happened while that Rails 5 PR was like right after it was opened. And because of that, the Rails 5 PR never got merged. And now it's like, you know, way out of date and like tons and tons of merge conflicts, but it could be probably salvaged. Although the app that I'm working on will likely be sunset. It is the goal, I believe, to sunset this application. And because we we merged with another company like prior to Eric and I joining and that they, they were doing similar things, but they were doing like some things better and they didn't have some features and uh, like a union seemed like a good idea. And so they're building new services now. And so hopefully at some point this will be sunset. And that's kind of been the attitude that my one of my fellow engineers told me. And he was like, hey man, there's a bunch of stuff in here that you're going to want to change that doesn't, you know, it's this and that. He's like, but, you know, eventually this app is going to go away. And he's like, and I, like, I, he's like, I doubt that anything that you're thinking about right now, I didn't think about six months when I started, like the test suite, the test suite could use some love. And he's like, dude, I tried. He's like, it's not worth your time. He's like, honestly, <laughs> he's like, and or like the seeds file is all screwed up. And he's like, dude, I tried the seeds file. He's like, I tried to fix it for hours. He's like, don't even worry. And it was funny because everything <laughs> that he was mentioning, I had. And like had like started to like try to fix, and it was like, okay, this is how things are. Um, and I think that was kind of like a good reminder. Just be like, dude, this is how things are. It is not worth the company's money to invest all this time fixing it. This app is kind of in maintenance mode ish, is what I'm kind of gathering. We're adding some stuff if needed, but mainly it's in maintenance. Whereas we're building up other stuff and. He's like, don't let it suck you in. because, <laughs> And so yeah, that's yeah. kind of the approach I've taken. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Like the thing that, that you never learn when you're, when you're learning to code is like, you're a, a function of the business. So like, mm-hmm. if they're not making money, you're not going to get paid to, you know, fix the seeds file in this app no one uses anymore or very few people do. My actually like technically first job out of college was doing Perl and we, it was a genomics department, like part of a university here and they were doing like cancer research and stuff. And so I, I joined the team and they're all excited and whatever. And I'm like, I'm, I guess like this seems like genomics and stuff is fun, but I don't know any of that. The science you know, and so like, I'm guessing they're going to teach me and whatever. And so then I just get put on these tickets that are like, the scientists are sending us stuff to fix in our software pipeline and whatever. And so I just have to go ask somebody every single ticket. It was like, it comes in, I read it. I don't know what it means. And I don't know what tool they're using and complaining about. So I have to ask somebody else. And that person tells me like, oh, why are they asking that? We can't, we can't change that because like, yeah, it doesn't work right. But like this one guy depends on it and he knows that it doesn't work right there. So we like, we leave it and he works around it and whatever. So I'm like, 
no, like this is the stuff that is that you don't want. Where like the yeah. technical debt is is like set in stone, and the team has like understood that that's not changing and that it will never improve. Because the first reaction on one of these tickets, the guy goes like, "What are you? Why is he using that? That's like we could replace those like four hundred lines of code with like four. I don't like. Why is he using that? And I'm like. I don't like, don't ask me. Yeah. Why Why are you asking me? I'm asking you. I don't even know what it does. And uh, then he was like, well, maybe we can just replace that. And he starts looking into it and he's like, oh no, we, we need to leave that alone actually. And then we just like send the message back on the ticket. Like, sorry, can't fix that for whatever reason. And then yeah. close it and move on to the next one. And I was like, I am not going to be happy here. Like that was the last straw. And I was like, this is not good. So I didn't last too long there, but also like, you know, it was Pearl, like Ruby was right. Heavily inspired by Pearl. So it was literally like stepping back in, into the past coming from doing so much Ruby and Python before that. So it was really strange. And then, yeah, I, I, I got out of there within like three months and I I was like very quickly, like I'm going to take lunch as early as possible and for as long as possible. (laughs) And yeah, that was the sign that things were over for me there. Yeah. I mean, it's, I feel like every company gets to a point where this will be true. I don't think it's, I think it's literally impossible not to have this problem where there is some code somewhere in your application or something works a certain way because one customer depends on it and you know the sales or management or whatever is not willing to piss off that customer and you just live with that code and it sucks but that's literally just how it is and that's not it's at that point it's not like an engineering issue it's a it's a business thing like the business has decided to incur the cost of you know whatever this is inside of the code at the benefit of whatever that customer is providing in terms of revenue. So I mean we had it at CodeFund. There was one particular site that was using like an older version of the API and we just weren't going to change it. We weren't going to break it and it sucks. But I feel like that is inevitable because you know when your biggest customer is like hey no, if you change that, like I'm done with y'all. Like all my stuff depends on that. You can't do that. And it's also like if you're upgrading your your software and a bunch of people's workflows are gonna break, or like a bunch of people's like way of doing things that they've done for so long is just gone. Like you can't you just can't do that. As much as like in our heads as programmers, we're like, oh yeah, screw them. Cause I was like that when I first started programming. I was like, I don't care if they've been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years. I was like, I don't care. I was like, they could have been doing this for longer than I've been born. And it doesn't bother me because they can change. And that is wrong <laughs> because yeah. they absolutely could change, but they absolutely will not. So, you know, and, you just have to learn to eat it. Yeah. And they get value out of it being the old way or whatever. Yeah. Like, even if the value is that they can focus on other things because this doesn't change, you know, like that is a thing that you, you take from them if you change it and they're forced to rewrite something or, or, you know, relearn the way that that thing worked. 
you know, like you, you're forcing them to do stuff if you change it too. Right. So sometimes that is like a thing you just can't do or whatever, or it's not worth making the change and, and forcing more things to happen yeah. in C- Cascade. So, yeah. It's not yeah, worth it. It's, it's a complicated thing. And, and when you're starting out, you don't realize the nuances of that, especially like if you're working in a big company and like you have stuff that's been built that like thousands and thousands of people depend on, like good luck changing that stuff because yeah. now you've got to convince thousands of people to do it differently or whatever, you know? And that is a much, much more complicated problem than forcing 10 people to do something differently, you know, yeah. especially if they're not developers, you know, it's one thing to be like, let's change this internal API. And you can agree with your dev team. We're going to rewrite these pieces and whatever. And nobody else in the world knows that even happened. Then you're Stripe and you got to change your API. And then every single customer of yours might be affected by it. Like, right the SCA changes or whatever, like that's a nasty problem to, to have to deal with. And eh, they didn't do bad considering that the scale of SCA, but yeah, you know, that is not a, they, they had a, such a fast timeline. They did what they could and now it's their docs and stuff have gone and become way, way, way better. But and the time they had, they did their best, but it was a nightmare to go through that back, what, September of last year. I guess it's almost been a year already. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, the thing that we as programmers don't think about is like if we change our API and other companies are depending on it, those companies then have to spend money to pay their developers to fix it or they have to maybe, maybe they're not like that. They don't have like a development staff. So they then have to hire a contractor to do that. So like you're... Like they're paying you to make your life to make their life easier, but now you're costing them money, and that's not going to bode well. And your support staff is going to hate you because they're just going to get screamed at by jerks like the entire day. I mean, I'll yeah. never forget yeah. the day I was sitting in my office at my first job, and someone burst through the door, and they're like, "Did you guys just deploy blah 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 to blah blah blah?" And started going off. And I'm like, who are you? And why are you doing this to me? I don't, why are you screaming at me? And like the answer is that she was getting screamed at. And like we did, we, I, it was, it was me. I I totally took away the way that things that people were working. Cause like I said, I was young and arrogant and I was like, man, screw them. They've been doing this for 30 years. I've been here for two months and I've just, shaking up the whole thing, man. It's way better now. And that was, that was a terrible, terrible like, thing like, that I had to learn. And you're like, oh, look at the time. It's 5 p.m. Got to go home. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Just became lunch. Let me know on Monday morning what you want to change. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of the time, we should probably wrap up. And I got to go get tested for COVID because oh, last God. weekend my, my sister works for for a hospital and like takes patients around. So she got it. She's been sick all week and not not a great way, but not not terribly. So then my my parents actually came down that weekend, stayed with her, which wasn't the wisest decision. And we saw my parents no. but but not her. And so potentially, you know, we've 
I don't know. I don't know when it's contagious and so on, but we're going to get tested finally. And I haven't had any symptoms, so I'm I'm crossing my fingers yeah. or whatever. But she's not been having a great week, and we're like, we can, you know, quarantine at home for two weeks, or we can go halfway through and like, you know, get tested, and then hopefully don't have like a a false negative and stuff. Cause that's what yeah. a lot of them are worried about. They won't even test you unless you have symptoms. So they're just kind of like wait several days and then go get tested. So I guess I'm going to get my brain swabbed and we'll find out in a few days. <laughs> well, good luck to your sister. Yeah. My, I've been alone for like a month. My roommates have been gone. They came back the other day and then immediately started going to work. Cause they work at the university oh. and the university here is reopening cause they're idiots. Mm-hmm. And so my roommates have, they returned and they've started going to work. And I was like, I'm going to find, I'm going to find a sublease. I'm going to move out. I was like, I can't do this. Yeah. I was like, I, this is, you're stressing me out. I don't want to get sick. And mm-hmm. you're about to be around a bunch of college students. And I just was a college student. So I know, Yeah, <laughs> I know for a fact, like there's just, I, yeah, I'm, I'm moving. That's basically the TLDR. Mm, you, got well, a, you got any extra space at the back of your lot for like a shed? <laughs> we're going to have, if we end up building the house we're designing, which I don't know that we can, we'll have like several rooms that you can use. <laughs> Perfect, so, yeah. yeah, I hope that goes well because it is, that is one of the places that is the worst. And, and actually our architect is a good friend of mine last weekend when my sister was sick. He had to get his appendix removed and he's oh. in his 60s. And so like, he's not in a great age for getting COVID. Yeah. And then he, of all places, has to go to the hospital. And, like oh, in the hallway no. with all these people who have symptoms and stuff. And they were freaking out. And I think he got by unscathed. But yeah, it's like, you don't want to be at a university. You don't want to be at a hospital for sure, you know. There's, there's a few places that you just absolutely do not want to be around. Yeah. Well, good for you. And I want to commend you for going to get tested because a lot of people don't and they're idiots. And my grandmother ha- was asymptomatic and she died. So oh, I, it's Sorry important. Yeah. Well, it is important if you, it is important to get tested. So go do that and good luck and good luck to your sister. And I guess we'll talk again next week. <laughs> All right. And if not, the worst happened. The worst happened. <laughs> I shouldn't joke uh, about that, but anyways. <laughs> please bequeath your Vim config to me. Yeah. You got you someone will inherit all of my GitHub repos that are un, unfinished. Oh no, I, I don't want that. Don't don't that's I don't want that. <laughs> yeah, you you have to now maintain all these gems and all the stuff that was never finished. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> All right, man. Well, (laughs) we'll talk. uh, We'll talk next week then. Later, man. See ya.